In Exodus 12, was the tenth plague the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt necessary, and why did Yahweh carry it out? Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. Today we dive back into Exodus 12, and we're going to answer the big question, was the tenth plague necessary, and why did it happen? Why did Yahweh have to wipe out the firstborn sons? What was he doing? Was he being vindictive? Or was there something else here we're missing that's not taught, again, in our, our Bible schools? Let's take a look today. I'm your host, Reverend Michael Norton, and in Tales of Glory, we dive into all the supernatural of the Bible, and also in the Tales of Supernatural that either I've experienced or other people experience here in their walk and journey with life, and we also cover contemplation and prayer with God. But today, we're diving back into our focus on the book of Exodus and battling the supernatural. At this point, we've gone through, what, nine plagues. last two plagues were what? Plague eight was the plague of locusts, where the sky went dark, blocking out the eye of Ra. Remember, we talked about that idiom? And then we had the second plague of darkness, which only happened over the Egyptians and not over the Israelite homes. And again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, which brings us today to our 10th plague, the destruction of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And why was it necessary? Was God just being vindictive? Was something else going on here? And also, I have a surprise revelation, too, that I found in the book of Chronicles regarding one of the family members of Pharaoh, we'll cover that at the conclusion. Something I didn't realize until I dove into this was during research. You guys might find it interesting too, but we'll save that little teaser for later. So here we are. I, again, I'm your host, Reverend Michael Norton. And if you want to know more about me, I mean, I covered my whole resume is covered here in Tales of Glory. I suggest going back to earlier episodes. Um, there's a cool podcast I did that kind of dis- discusses everything about the supernatural I've experienced. Well, not everything. It was a Broadcast coverage back to spiritual gift, the spiritual discernment. I think that was probably episode six. If you guys want to find out who I am and why I discuss supernatural and what qualifies me to, I think that was a good um, eye opener in that podcast there. So where are we at this point? We're at battling the supernatural. God is taking care of all of it for us. That's the point we've been making here in this whole thing. What's, what's the beauty of Exodus? God fights the battles, the high-level battles of witchcraft. People send me tons of emails. This is happening with me. I think my daughter's under witchcraft. My son's under witchcraft. My husband's under witchcraft. What do I do? My neighbor's a witch. How do I battle this? How do I do that? Are the evil witches? What's going on? You know, this whole spectrum. And through all my journey in the nearly 20 years of this, as I started going through the book of Exodus, and in my experience and my what I've garnished in my my battles and my you know my wisdom through now is like the book of Exodus lays it all out. It's very simple. One, you have to trust God. And that was the hardest part even Moses couldn't do. Look at the very opening of Exodus. God selected Moses to speak on his behalf. Moses didn't trust God. Moses was being selected to be both a priest and a king for for all of Israel to lead them out of their 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 slavery. But he said, no, I'm not a good speaker. Get my brother to do it. Right? So he didn't trust God. And this whole thing is built on how much we trust God deeper, deeper, and deeper is how much God is so much capable handling witchcraft and warfare for us. And as an exorcist, that's the one thing I had to learn. I think in my class, I've been teaching freedom culture. It used to be the, the voice the voice of triumph, but they got into deliverance and healing. And I know Pastor Marty of their retitled their church to the um, Freedom Culture, which is kind of cool, which covers healing and all this other stuff. So I've been giving a class over there, an eight-week course that's going on until the end of June. And one of the things I've been trying to drive home there too is, you know, everybody wants to hear like the um, the classic stuff, like I want to bind this, I'm binding that, or this is how you root demons, this is how you do that. It's not that. It's do you trust Jesus to do it? We don't have a clue of what's going on in the spirit realm. We are spiritual beings on the physical side of the world, and God is teaching us how to deal with it. He's teaching us through these battles now what he wanted to teach us in the Garden of Eden, but we took for ourselves from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So now God is teaching us, and he teaches us how to deal with what Michael Heiser has so graciously dubbed the unseen realm. How do we battle in these? 
and the book of Exodus is classic. And up till this point, we went through nine plagues. And how did God deal with witchcraft? He took out the powers of the um, regional spirits. He took out the priests, the Hakartamim. Remember, they got boils and stuff, and they got defiled. And then they got so sick, they couldn't perform any rituals. So God took out the, the priests. He took out the, the regional spirits and blocked them. They could not see what's going on. And still, some of these people didn't turn away. We see somewhere between the seventh and the ninth plague, some Egyptians, the light bulb's going on. They're telling Pharaoh, hey, could you just let these people go? You know, you may be God and all, but this Yahweh guy is clobbering you. He's clobbering you. You know, no, no disrespect to you being <laughs> this, the God Horus incarnate, but this Yahweh dude is <sighs> hammering you. Just let the people go so we can have our lives back. And we see actually swayed some of the Egyptians to actually leave, and we'll see here pretty soon, with the Israelites to go into the desert. And that's something that's not always you know, covered in Sunday schools. Back then, we were coloring the pictures, you know, of the, the parting of the sea or uh, let my people go. And, you know, those little things we used to color a lot for them. We listen along to the teacher or during the felt boards, right? We didn't see those doing the felt board presentations either of what's going on here. As I worked with um, ritual abuse survivors, they couldn't always fathom why Yahweh was being so mean to Pharaoh, right? That's how the, um, the programmers twist this. It's like, why, why was... Why was Yahweh being so mean? Because that's what the programmers want to do. They want to see that, that there's no hope anywhere, but there was hope. There was hope with Yahweh. And so when they worked with these kids, they had to pull out the hope of Yahweh being able to save these people. So was Yahweh being mean or something else was going on? Why did he specifically strike in Plague 10 the firstborn of Egypt? And we're going to go into that today as we go through Exodus 12. So some exciting stuff. Very excited about this, this episode today. As you can see, one of my heroes in the past, like about 20 years ago, when I really I was sitting in the front row of the, the pew of the Frozen Chosen, and the Holy Spirit awakened me, I had to come up quick because I didn't understand the Bible as well as I thought I did. And I was listening a lot to the G. Vernon McGee videos. Um, excuse me, back then it wasn't even videos, it was CDs, right? I had to, you know, we're talking about this about poof, 2005, somewhere around there. So I'm listening to the G. Vernon McGee um, DVDs, reading his books, but he came out and said he was a cessationist. He didn't believe miracles happened anymore. And that kind of threw me. It's like, well, how can I trust what's coming from G. Vernon McGee, the man on Bible topics? So I still went through all of his um, library of listening to his broadcasts and his, um, his lectures on the Bible, which were very good. But as I go back now, I want to put back in what G. Vernon glazed over and so many other excellent men who came before us, Bible teachers, and that is we're not cessationists. Miracles still happen, and they're still happening now, and we don't have to go on a mission trip to Africa. That's why, that's why I set up Tales of Glory. Yeah, I had stuff happen in Africa. I had stuff happen in Haiti. But 90% of my stories come from all the crazy stuff that's happening here in America. And specifically, I'm near San Francisco. I've had a ton of weird stories from Night Strike. As I said, go back through my podcast. And if you're new to this, and go to the older ones, listen when I start talking about some of this stuff. And you'll go, wow, you know, yeah, this is a missionary trip. This is happening in our backyard. I'm an urban missionary. <laughs> I happen in the backyard, or I'm a missionary with the microphone. I try to get out to you guys. So, what's happening here is when we encounter witchcraft here in America, it's the same anywhere across the world, and it's handled the same way it was handled in Exodus. You trust God, and you listen to God. If you can't hear from God right now, He's probably putting you a trial to start learning to listen to Him. You'll be frustrated. It might be hard at first. You'll get it right away about how to work with Jesus. And that's all the book of Exodus is about. If you unpack it, God's going to go, hey, you know what? I'm going to fight this fight for you. Just do as I tell you. Stand where I tell you to stand, and then do something when I tell you to do something. You don't need to go through your book of routing demons. And that's what the church has been sucked into right now. It's just methodology. It's ritual. Jesus is not ritual-based. Jesus is relational-based. I keep harping on the relationship with Jesus. When it's relational-based, Jesus is telling you what to do and how to protect you. You are somebody he absolutely loves, and he's going to protect you. He's going to tell you what's going on, where to do it, where to stand, you know, how to pray, where to pose, you know, that sort of thing through these battles. And that's what's coming out of the book of Exodus. So here we are, Exodus chapter 12, and we're introducing the Passover. And your Hebrew, it's Pesach. Unfortunately, I did a cut and paste from my Hebrew into the PowerPoint, and it didn't transfer very well. But there's, there's Pesach in Hebrews there as well. 
So Pesach, it's the Passover, and we also are introduced to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread in Exodus 12. And these are things we're supposed to keep until this day, until Jesus returns. Let's dive in and find out what these are. You know, I didn't really know either. Like, oh, we're supposed to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread? What is that? Are we supposed to do that? Let's, let's find out what this is. Interesting stuff here. So let's go out. What's the big story? Here we are in Exodus 12, where Pharaoh will finally release the Israelites and allow them to worship the one true God, Yahweh. However, before this happens, the tenth and final plague occurs before the Pharaoh agrees to let the Israelites leave. The death of the firstborn sons. Why did it have to come to this? All right, that's what he's asking. And who brought it on? So Exodus 12 opens with God declaring the Pesach, the Passover, where Yahweh instructs Israel to select an unblemished lamb for sacrifice to deliver them from judgment of the death of the firstborn about to be released in Egypt. Where we heard this before. Yahweh instructs Israel to select an unblemished lamb for sacrifice to deliver them from the judgment of the death of the firstborn about to be released in Egypt, where Yahweh unleashed a final strike on the Egyptian Ma'at. If you've been listening, Ma'at is the order that the Egyptian occult followed. The pharaoh, Horus incarnate, was bringing order to land and creation and nature. He was a direct connection to the sun god Ra. And Ma'at was the order of things. So anything went into chaos, Ma'at was restored through Pharaoh Horus incarnate. And so Yahweh unleashed a final strike on the Egyptian Ma'at, where the next incarnate of Horus would come from the lineage of Pharaoh. Very important right there. This is why Yahweh went after the firstborn sons of Egypt. There was a linear succession of the incarnates of Horus. If Yahweh disrupted it, he disrupted Ya'at, and it was unable to be restored. The order of Ma'at was now thrown into complete chaos. This is the back setting for why Yahweh went after the firstborn sons of Egypt. You know, sometimes it's taught as revenge, too. It, it, we see that, well, you know, God was angry that the Pharaoh, probably the Pharaoh's father here, threw the Hebrew boys into the water and tried to drown them. That's how we get the story of Moses, right? Try to kill them all. And Yahweh went after it as revenge. Is it possibly that's part of the, the motive too? But I think the bigger motive here was to throw off the occult in Egypt. By killing the firstborn sons, they threw off the order of the succession of lineage of the incarnate god of Horus or whatever god. Remember, like it's a Teuton Horus would have been this guy. It's like the pharaohs chose whatever god incarnate they wanted to be, which made this kind of interesting, ridiculous anyway. So Tutankhamun, the famous um, pharaoh, right, that we know about in all the museums. So Tutan means image of. And Kadum is the god that Tutankhamun chose to be the image of. We've heard the term imaging too, right? We're images of Christ. This whole thing, these these. <laughs> regional spirits are copying everything, right? Of what Jesus does. So they want images of themselves. So the incarnate image of Pharaoh was of Horus. So let's keep going here. So the Israelites and anyone else who obeyed the instructions of Pesach would be delivered by atonement through substitution. There's a light bulb going on. We've seen a picture of Jesus going to the cross. The lamb would be free of blemish. Jesus had no sin. A representation of the substitutional atonement of Jesus Christ's crucifixion that was to come about approximately 1,600 years later. So Jesus was the unblemished lamb. That's why we can't have these things like these horrible movies like the temptation of Jesus and stuff. Jesus was unblemished. Jesus was Yahweh incarnate here on earth. And he did not sin because he knew deep inside being, you know, he he. he Drop down lower than angels, right? We said that into our, into our imaging where he was capable of sin, but he did not. And that's important. If he did sin, he would be incapable of being the substitution that would have freed us. Make that connection. Jesus had to be free from sin to do what he did. And it stems all the way back to the Passover in Egypt that we're studying here in Exodus 12, the Pesach. Keep in perspective as you read through Exodus 12 that the atonement of the unblemished lamb 
in substitution is clearly about the atonement crucifixion of Jesus Christ that was to come. Jesus setting it up. Remember, everything in the New Testament has to map back to the Old Testament. They're interconnected. They're hyperlinked. And the Passover, the Pesach, is the hyperlink back to the crucifixion of the cross. The substitution. Because these people had not received the law yet. Nobody was capable of keeping the law, which is why we need somebody to go in our place. Nobody was incapable of being free from sin, except for Jesus. We can't do it. We can't. I mean, we could lock somebody away all their lives and feed them or do something, you know, and they will sin if we protected them from it. This is how the mind works. Remember back in um, Genesis, the mind, the mankind is inherently evil. God said that after he wiped us out. He goes, well, man's inherently evil. We do have that piece of us stuck into us from the original sin. It's in us. And we can't escape it. Jesus doesn't have it. The late Dr. Michael Heiser commented in his Naked Bible podcast, episode 273 on Exodus 12, cited D.J. Klein's Dictionary of Classical Hebrew. I'd love to get this one, but this book's expensive, so I'll just have to take Mike's <laughs> word for it. So he quotes from 1 Corinthians 5.7. Paul refers to Jesus as our Passover lamb. Paul explicitly identifies Jesus with our Passover lamb. Paul explicitly identifies us. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The death of Jesus was sacrificial. Lamb and Jesus were unblemished, so it was nature as a substitute. Making the connection here? Jesus, the Lamb of God. Have we heard that before, too? Once you guys make the connection, Jesus existed. Jesus existed in history. We know that from Josephus. We know that from other historians. So all these people who are on the internet, the atheists, they just want to you know, blow their own horn. They're not doing the research. There was a Jesus of history. It's documented. And it's documented in the manner that historians would have documented any historical event 2,000 years ago. We know Jesus existed. We know from information we're getting out of um, Qumran and the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Jesus existed. He existed in history. He is there in history. We don't have bodies. We don't have bodies in a lot of people in history because they go back to dust. And that's biblical, right? From dust we come, from dust we return. So we're not finding a lot of bodies except for stuff that may have been mummified or protected like we see in Egypt. So Paul and John are saying Jesus was substitutionary. We see the verbiage from Exodus 12, verse 46, Numbers 9, verse 12, and John 19, verse 36, shall not break any of its bones. Whose bones weren't broken? Jesus. As we read through the scriptures of Exodus 12, contemplate the presence of Jesus in this event as we read. Right, So if you go back and look those up, I want you to start contemplating that this is referring back to Jesus. You know, and just pause the podcast here, write it down. A lot of times I listen to podcasts too. I'm Audible and Visual, visual Learner. I have to pause the podcast when I'm listening to stuff and write it down or have my Bible in front of me and just pause it and go look these things up. This is kind of a, you get homework exercises this podcast. I throw stuff at you. You got to go look it up. Don't take Mike's word for it. You have to prove stuff to yourself. One way or the other, whether you prove Mike's right or wrong, I don't care. But at least you went through the exercise of proving it to yourself. But I think a lot of the information here all hyperlinks and interrelates to one another. So your light bulb is going to go on for you guys. And like I said, if you're an atheist looking for stuff, it all hyperlinks. It does. There was a Jesus in history, and he was the atonement and the crucifixion for you, for your sins. And your only job here in life is to figure out whether Jesus did die for your atonement and your sins. You get to spend eternity with him. So here we are. We're diving into Exodus 12 now. I'll get off my little soapbox there, but that's the backstory to all this. Exodus 12, the Passover. Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, 
You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. What are they doing here? So if I can get this thing, so we're swiping our doorposts. Swipe this doorpost, and we're swiping our lintel. So if you're blessing a house and you're having spiritual warfare going on, you're having ghosts, you're having demonic activity, do this to your doors. Take olive oil, just bless it. Heavenly Father, lift this olive oil up to you in Jesus' name, and I bless it. And dip your finger, your thumb, and just bless the door frames. Do a swipe. Do a swipe on the other door frame with them, and draw a cross on the lintel, the door threshold. So verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread, there it is, and bitter herbs they shall eat. So nothing should taste good. This is interesting. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. I don't know if this is tasting too good anymore. <laughs> no. This may have been a delicacy back then, like right now, modern like cringing. Oh, well, let's get back to this. Verse 10. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Okay, so you can't keep it on refrigerators. You got to get rid of it. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 11. What is going on here? I didn't catch this until I read through this one. Let me hit this one again. Verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, is the Lord's Passover. Ancient Near East um, household, you're walking around barefooted, right? You leave your shoes at the door. You put your shoes on when you're ready to go outside or go somewhere. You have your staff in your hand and eat in haste. Your belt fastened, you're dressed, you're ready to leave. Verse 11 is telling them during this during the Passover, I want you guys ready to leave. Ready to go on a journey. Put your sandals on inside your house. Get your walking staff. You guys are gonna be ready to roll here in a second. I want you guys just be ready to leave. Be prepared. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 12 is packed also. What does it say? For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Yahweh is striking him down. And I would go as far to say, when Yahweh manifests, this is the angel of Yahweh, Jesus. Jesus is bringing judgment. He's going to strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now, this is where we got to start processing here. Like I said, I worked with the satanic ritual abuse survivors. They couldn't fathom why God was striking down the young people. And he's doing it to strike out evil. Without a lineage, this occult cannot go on. This attachment to the regional spirits cannot go on that are, that are running their own false religion, Ma'at. And it says, And he's bringing judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So even the Elohims, Ben Elohims, are being judged. This is a very important verse, verse 12. Jesus is doing it. We've seen it before. Jesus is the one who um, brings judgment. So that's something to go meditate on too. This is this is it. And it's Jesus talking about it. I'm pretty sure it's Jesus. So when, for I will pass through the land. You know, Yahweh is everywhere. If he's going to pass through the land, we're probably talking about angel of the Lord, who's Jesus. We made these connections several times, too, of, of spelling out explicitly in the past podcasts. So go back through the Exodus ones if you're confused or you just joined in right here and like, what? But I said Exodus 12 is pretty powerful and the stuff that's in it. It's crazy. Verse 13. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. You will pass over. Yahweh is omnipresent. So, so is Jesus too, okay? I'm just saying when we start making the connections, hyperlinking, when physically moving through our reality, we're talking about the angel of the Lord is, is Jesus Yahweh, okay? Angel Yahweh. So, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. It opens the discussion here too, and I think it happened because we know, and I'll prove it to you a little later, that some of the Egyptians left with the Israelites. The light bulb started going on around the seventh plague when he was striking down the cattle. Like Yahweh's going, I don't care who you are. If you don't let your slave be left outside when the hails come, then I'll strike down you know, the, the cattle. I'll strike down all this other stuff. Just make sure they're inside. And so Yahweh was always giving warnings on way out too. He wasn't relentless and just wiped people out. If you're going to follow Ma'at, then you had some serious problems because this is the 10th time. God waited 10 times for you guys to figure this out, these people. He waited 10 times. He goes, this is it. This, uh, the door has to shut, right? The, we know the story of the 10 virgins. Only five made it in. He shut the door and let the other five out. It happens to us too. God is patient, but he's patient for so long. When he has to say, this is enough, I'm shutting the door. And this was it. So I believe that some of the Egyptians also swiped the blood on their door frames or lintels. Maybe also exact, probably through their Hebrew neighbors. The Hebrew neighbors say, hey, you better do this. You've already seen what's happening. In fact, I wouldn't doubt if the Egyptians are going to their Hebrew neighbors. What do I do? What do I do? You know, help me out here. Oh, well, you got to do this. Okay, are you going to participate with us maybe? You know, come into our household. Maybe like that too. But we do know some Egyptians left with the Israelites. I think it was through this. So it was like you said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. This was both the Israelites, I think whoever else participated and the light bulb went on that Yahweh was God. Remember Yahweh in the beginning said, I will do this to prove these people for generations who I am. And this is it right here. It's just the smarter people figured out like, you know what? I'm uh, <laughs> I'm getting on this Yahweh ark right now, man. I'm not staying with the with Pharaoh. It's not looking good here. Verse 14. So we dive into the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statuette forever. You shall keep it as a feast. See, I need to go look this one up now, because when he says forever, I think this one's cascading all the way through to post-work on the cross. And if so, that's something we got to put a check mark here, guys, and go back and look at it. Maybe I'll do some research later see what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is. I think also the Catholics may still maintain this one because they have a feast for everything. Like every week's a different feast. So they may have a feast for unleavened bread. So maybe we should start there and doing research, but I'll go check my local Hebrew people too. Um, see what's up. So verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Hmm. Verse 16. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statuette forever. Just forever again. So this is a hyperlink into the Gospels and New Testament. Remember, I should probably go see if it's located there too, if they're observing it. But when God says a statuette forever, he knows what a time frame is. He knows, you know what? I don't care if it's the year 2023, you guys are going to be observing this. So this is something we should all be researching in church. I don't think we, we go through it that much. But if he says keep the statuette forever, we should be keeping it forever. Verse 18, in the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Verse 19, for seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. 
whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. I'm thinking right there, a sojourner. I'm wondering if the two were referring to the Egyptians and other people, other tribes, non-Hebrew, who joined them during the Exodus, which is coming up right here. The sojourners. I think we had some Egyptian sojourners who had to start learning the new ways of Yahweh. So he's teaching them. Remember, Abraham was a sojourner. He was in a, a new land. So let's reflect back to that. There's a hyperlink there, right? <laughs> Actually, Abraham was a sojourner into Egypt. So now we have the Egyptians as sojourners back into the Hebrews. Interesting, interesting, huh? Verse 20, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. So Exodus 12, we have the Passover and the atonement of the Lamb. Verse 21, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is its basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. There it is, right? That's what he's having them do. Again, I'm saying using the spiritual warfare too, you can use olive oil. Just bless the olive oil and do your, do your front doors. You're dealing with spirits in the house, um, witchcraft, you know, pushing out witchcraft from neighborhoods or something like that. This is what you do. I even did destroy my COVID-19. I think I survived three years of the COVID stuff until I finally got COVID. I'm not vaccinated. You know, I follow the science. You know, I have my degree in computational physics and I just got certified last October in quantum computing. So I've been following the science for a while. I just don't follow the CNN science. You know, that's not science. That's that's mind control. But anyway, so you know what you're saying here, right? So it's just, this stuff works. Keeping out spirits, you know, hit your hit your um, lintel and hit the two doorposts with the oil oil. I do all the doorposts and all the windows in your house like this too. Drive out spirits. If you're dealing with um, poltergeist, something like that, they're going to scream and get mad, but this is what's going to keep them out. We'll discuss more about this later. Actually, um, I'm talking a lot about this on my um, class that's going on right now over at uh, Freedom Culture Church down there in Fremont I'm with Pastor Marty Souza. And I'm working with um, Bill George, who's the, the healing rooms uh, director down there. And we're going through a, an eight-session course right now. It's about two hours a piece on what to do with this sort of stuff. But that's something I want you guys to know right there. Again, we're talking about spiritual warfare, right? That's what the, my main topic was for Exodus. Look at that one, verse 22. There it is right there. If you want to go biblical, if you can find some hyssop, <laughs> dip it into some um, olive oil or something, go for it. You know, your finger works just as well, but that's what they did. Kind of like the Passover, right? Jesus at the door, like, hey, I'm driving out evil spirits, and when I'm gone. Warfare 101 is all in Exodus. Trust Jesus. Verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Hmm. So the Lord will pass over the door, right? So we have this, this reference here to an angel of the Lord, angel Yahweh, pass over the door and destroyer to enter your homes. So who's the destroyer? I don't know. That's, that's, there's there's going to be ambiguity in a lot of this stuff. And I know that's what ticks off a lot of the um, atheists. But even in science, we have ambiguity. I'm telling you, in quantum physics, I'm just saying that stuff's amb ambiguous. You want to talk about ambiguity? It's, it's, you have to falsely trust and believe what the people ahead of you have, have created. And so when we start, that's kind of what helps me go to the Bible. There's ambiguity. It's like, well, you know, there's, there's spaces. We're mankind. And we're dealing with a God who created the universe who doesn't have to tell me how he did it. Although when I go to heaven, when I sit down, I want to see how he did it. But he doesn't owe us all the answers. And there's going to be ambiguities. There's ambiguity in life. So we can't use the same argument all of a sudden against Jesus. Well, that's ambiguous. What isn't ambiguous? You know, in medical science. Why do some medications work and others don't? How come we can't have something so simple that will work on, you know, some sickness like cancer or something? Which we probably do. There's ambiguities everywhere. So if we say it's ambiguous that so we know that the 
Jesus as the as the angel Yahweh flew over and licked the doorposts and destroyer was he was he also leading you know some sort of a divine spiritual beings that came in and were the destroyers or did he act as a destroyer we don't know there's ambiguity so anyway so verse 24 you shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever there it is again so I'm knowing when he means forever that means hyperlinking above and beyond the crucifixion so maybe there's some stuff here in church we're not covering anymore we should be you know we lightly cover Passover oh we're in Passover week here we go and that's about it right we don't cover any of this stuff it means rather than cover it in church I think we should be observing it um, there should be some observance like I don't like Christmas or Easter and I'm going to set somebody else off that's our pagan you know shut up <laughs> come here come here I'm going to slap you back to the Exodus chapter 1 or Genesis 12 one of the two um, yeah, it's we should be observing it something like Christmas and some like you know Easter. We kind of mildly do at Easter, and I'm glad we put the emphasis on Easter. Um, but we should have some sort of observance too, just as um, as significant about the Passover. But there'll be some church caring out there. Oh, that's pagan. If you observe Passover on these days, that's also pagan. Listen, working with satanic ritual abuse survivors. The Satanists have cloned everything Jesus observes on their calendar into an anti-holiday. And so every day is pagan if you want to listen to their calendar. But I, I can go on and on about this. I'm going to get my, my, my soapbox where I go too far. But just think of that, all right? So if you're stuck on that, you're one of those church Karens, oh, no, no, no. You, know, you don't know what you think you know. So let's go to the next one. So verse 25. And you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised. You shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, right? We're saying that now in church, and we're catching this right now. What do you mean by this service? What do you mean by it? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. I'm telling you, he did a lot of that with COVID too, right? He spared a lot of our houses. And when the people bowed their heads and worshipped. No, we got kicked out of our churches during... Look, see what's going on here? See how the enemy works? Yep, we didn't do any of this. He's, he twisted this. He probably twisted it from Exodus 12. We didn't worship. We got kicked out. Here in California, we did. We got kicked out of our churches. But some people stayed. I remember going to some churches where they even defiled the mask thing, which was cool too. It was like... Like I said, I went through... Three years of not getting COVID, I, I, I was very careful in what I did and how I handled myself and went to places I went to. But three years, I didn't get it. So I'm saying there's, there's stuff here. You know, God's going to be our Passover. God's going to protect us. Trust Him. Verse 28, Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, they did. Here we are, Exodus 12, the 10th plague. Death of the firstborn. This is what's getting interesting. We want to unpack this thing. So verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock. So he hit animals too. So remember, it's against the occult. They didn't have livestock to slaughter. They didn't have, we're supposed to be firstborns with some of the ceremonies. They He went after the firstborn son of the Pharaoh who sat on the throne. Why? Because it destroyed Ma'at. There was now no successor to the incarnation of Horus. It had to be linear. That's why God nailed it. If those didn't obey, they lost their firstborn too. God wasn't messing around now. And like I said, part of it could be he... Some of that with the firstborn, it could be because he was still angry at what happened with his his, his tribe, you know, his his firstborn, or excuse me, the, um, the 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 males that were murdered back in Moses' time and, and drowned or killed, or they're killed by the um, no one. Take it back. We remember they went through um, Exodus one. The midwives were instructed to do um, abort the babies, right? They were doing abortions, so there was a lot there. And if we tie it back down, we hyperlink it. Just think right now, if God did this. He brought judgment on that. Just think he's got sort of judgment he's going to bring on the abortion here in America. Even the American churches are, are embracing abortion by not speaking out 
vehemently against it. You know, if I were church congregation or something like that, we should selectively organize going out to the Planned Parenthoods and, and protesting and getting arrested. What if you got arrested? Who cares? But we're not doing that. And we know God brings judgment on the murder of his children. We see it right here. Exodus 12, 29. Verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Right? He's just like, go, get out, go. He brought this on himself, his hardening. He, he, his pride, his pride, Pharaoh's pride was his downfall. He did not recognize the power that Yahweh had. And even when he did, he was like a little kid, like, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm the God incarnate Horus. Pride. Pride brings you down. It's like, what's this May now? Next month's Pride Month. Remember this pride before the fall? Pride is a downfall. We see it right here at Moses. He wiped out the firstborns probably on his head. If, you know, God knew, God knew his heart would be hardened. Not so much that God hardened it. God hardened it in different ways where he thought, where Pharaoh thought he was a God incarnate Horus. Then Yahweh went and hardened those areas in those battles. But here, Pharaoh did have the hand of mercy to let these people go. He never did. So whose hand was it on? It was on Pharaoh's hand. All these deaths, they were on him. Verse 32, take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and be gone, and bless me also. Right now he's having a, again, it's a non-repentive heart there, and bless me also, please. Every time he got smacked in the face, he, he kind of did this fake repenting. You know, it was empty, an empty repent. We do that a lot too. We get caught with our hands in a cookie jar and we do an empty repent. And that's why we're so overloaded with this deliverance stuff where people think, oh, I just need to be delivered now. No, you never repented. You ever thought if you fell on the floor and repented, how much of the garbage would come off you? A lot of people going for deliverance are unrepented souls. And they didn't never change their behaviors. It's not demons. It's other people like here, substitution for demons. I don't have issues. I'm going to put the demon substitution for what's wrong with me. No, you didn't. God gave you free will. Clean yourself up. So verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. <laughs> Let's get them out of here. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. Right there, right? So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. What do we have here? Remember, um, initially God said, put your sandals on, you know, gird your, um, your clothes or your belt and get your walking staff and be ready to leave. Here it is. And they were all packed up. They had to be ready to go. This is it right here. Passover. Get ready to leave. And they were. It happened quickly, just as God prepared them. Verse 35, the people of Israel also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Okay, they got hit so violently here. Just take our gold, go. Here's a vault. Here's a priceless piece of art. Take it, take it, take it. Just leave, just leave. So that's how that's how you know, hard Yahweh smacked them down. Verse 37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. Whoa. Besides women and children. So that's the count for men on foot. 600,000 men on foot. That's not counting women and children. Wow, 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 wow. Verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them. A mixed multitude. Who are these guys? Other peoples, sojourners. And possibly Egyptians. We know, I'm going to hit you here. There's something interesting. There's a very cool fact that showed up in a lineage somewhere. I'm going to show you guys the end. Who went with them? I, it, it was a hit. It was a jaw dropper for me when I read it. And so a mixed multitude went with them. Wow. Okay. Verse 39. And they baked 11 cakes of the dough 
that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Remember, God said, gear up, you know, tighten your belts, your walking staff, put your sandals on, we're going quickly. Verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. So this is about the time probably from Joseph when he arrived to the Exodus. Exodus 12, verse 41, the Exodus begins. At the end of 430 years, on what that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. All the people. I think all the hosts probably be all the leaders, military leaders, if they had any. I don't think they did, but community leaders, whoever these were, these were the hosts of the Lord. Um, the priests and all such went out from the land of Egypt. So the hosts are leading all these people out. Verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Okay, do we celebrate that? So it looks like at the end of Passover, it was a night of watching by the Lord. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. I haven't heard that one either. Have we done that in church? Nope. There's some stuff we got to start writing back in. Check, check, check. What? Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have become circumcised. Right? So here we go. So after they become circumcised, they can they can partake in it. So we have, so this is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. Who are the foreigners? They're probably Egyptians. And who else? Whoever else came? For the people from Africa? We know other people came. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have them circumcised. Interesting. Verse 45. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Right there, we've seen that with Paul. Paul quoted that. So did John. Verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and one for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Conclusion of Exodus 12. So I was kind of holding out for you guys, like, what's the fun fact? What was interesting in who in Egypt went with the Israelites? We discovered that Pharaoh's daughter, Bithia, left Egypt with the Israelites. And this account is documented in 1 Chronicles 4, 17 through 18, where the Pharaoh's daughter is called out in lineage of those who left Egypt. This is interesting. Pharaoh's daughter went with them. So we have 1 Chronicles 4, verses 17 through 18. Let's look at the lineage here. Verse 17. The sons of Ezra, Jether, Mered, Ephor, and Jalon. These are the sons of Bithia, the daughter of Pharaoh, whom Mered married. And she conceived and bore Miriam, Shammai, Ishba, and the father of Eshtmoah. There it is right there, Bithia. So I imagine since she was female, she was able to start adopting right away. She didn't need the circumcision, right? So either through marriage in with um, Mered, whom she married, made her able to participate as the Israelites did or what? I don't know, but this is interesting here. So the bloodline of Pharaoh now comes into play 
in the lineage. I did not know this. I did this research. This is fascinating. Very cool stuff, huh? So go look for yourselves. Don't take my word for it. Remember, look everything up Mike says. First Chronicles 4, 17 through 18. And if you're on one of my video presentations here, you can see where I posted the uh, logo software. I highlighted it. These are the sons of Bithia, the daughter of Pharaoh. When you see the, the Hebrew in First Chronicles 4. Fascinating stuff. So we did have Egyptians that left. The smart Egyptians left with them. So makes you wonder, too, that Pharaoh was literally also angry because he was pursuing his own daughter because she left? Or what have you? What's going on here? And we're presuming it's the current Pharaoh, the one that had his son stricken down, right? Not the Pharaoh that, the daughter of the Pharaoh that was the father of this Pharaoh who found Moses, right? I don't think that's the same daughter. I think this is the the Pharaoh that Moses and Aaron confronted. It was his daughter, and she left with the, the Israelites. Fascinating. But she figured it out, too. Wait a minute. This I've grown up all my life under Ma'at, and Yahweh is clobbering. You know, this Yahweh guy is doing it. Yahweh is king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the God. He is the creator. And he has power and precedence over the regional spirits of the Ma'at. He proved it hands down. So we know that Bithia witnessed a lot of miracles firsthand, which is probably what changed her heart to follow Yahweh. We know that. And, and the miracles that were to come, like the column of fire that went before them and all the other cool miracles. She was there to witness it. She witnessed miracles that were above and beyond, right? Of what the um, her father Pharaoh, who was Horus incarnate, and the Hakartamim. Remember the Hakartamim could summon frogs. They could do that too. They could turn the Nile to blood. They were able to do this stuff. They had high-level witchcraft powers. This was no, you know, funky little cult they were involved in. They were involved in the occult, not cult. And they were doing stuff until they couldn't do it no more. Right? They couldn't stop the locusts. They couldn't stop the boils on their skin. They, you know, and they were being festered and eaten by bugs alive. So Yahweh nailed them. She saw some powerful Hakartamim get taken out like they were nothing by tiny insects. So concluding remarks, where are we here? There was a lot of stuff in Exodus 12 that I found was fascinating. Did you guys learn anything about like some of these um, you know, observations we're supposed to keep? Like the unleavened bread and the final night of the watching, of God watching over us. We're supposed to observe that too forever. I haven't observed any of that in my church churches, excuse me, I'm not saying particular church, the churches I've been in since, you know, the past 40 years or so, I haven't seen any of that. I said, since some of it, I've seen some of it outside in the Catholic church. When I was in the Catholic church in my early days, early upbringings, like the unleavened bread, I think there was something there about that. But they had they had feasts for everything, the Feast of St. Teresa, the Feast of Mary, the Feast of Joseph. But, you know, in between there, I think there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread too. So they go the other extreme. They have too many feasts. They need to back off. <laughs> but cool stuff. So we're going to dive into now. We have time for a spiritual exercise, contemplation. I want you, the light bulb to go on for you guys that Jesus was in the book of Exodus. He was there. He's all over it. We need to start seeing some of this stuff. And it's important for you to understand spiritual warfare that J Jesus is just not somebody that appeared in the Gospels. He is from Genesis 1 all the way through. To, what's the last one? Revelation 21, 22? The Alpha and the Omega. He's he's from he's from the first Hebrew character in Genesis to the last Greek character in Revelation of typeset. So there we go. So spiritual exercises, contemplation. What are we gonna do here? We're gonna look at look first Corinthians five, six through eight. And it's about Jesus being in the Passover. And we're gonna look from Paul. Paul pointed out here. So for right now, let's just um, do stilling of our mind, practice his presence. I want you to relax. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Just taking a deep breath a second and exhale and relax. Still your mind, start shutting stuff off. Let's get that place where just peace and it's kind of just, you know, 
We've kind of pushed everything out. We're not fighting all thoughts right now. Some thoughts may pop in. Just let them pop out. That's how the brain works. Just bring your mind to still it. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 5, start with verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so it may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Sit there a moment. What images do you see of Jesus? Maybe see some images of him during Passover in Egypt. Or maybe see him on the cross. Just let your images of Jesus come in. Jesus, what do you want to show me about this story? What do you want to show me about Passover? Just show me, Jesus. And Jesus, I absolutely love you. Thank you so much for this time, this special time right now. And I thank you for your sacrifices being the Passover lamb, the unblemished lamb. You came and led a sinless holy life. And you were sacrificed for atonement. And you died. And you were raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you now sit on the right-hand side of the Father, And because of your work on the cross, the horrific life and how you ended here was a beautiful miracle. So all of us who are cursed from the Garden of Eden and for the taking of the knowledge of the Ben Elohim from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that native curse you reach down inside of us through sanctification and remove it from us. But you justified us. You opened the way. That you loved us so much that you want us to be with you. I thank you. Thank you, Jesus, the Passover lamb, for the atonement and what you went through. And you were sacrificed for me. And the truth is, no matter how bad of a day I'm having, no matter what's going on, bills coming in, or I'm having a very good day, whatever. It could be a great day or a bad day, no matter what. The one truth in this world is, that you absolutely love me and you care about me. And you do every day. You always reach out and try to show me. I thank you for that, Jesus. Jesus, show me what it is to be relational to you. Show me how to talk to you. Maybe we just sit here a moment and have conversations in our mind. And just show me how to hear from you. Maybe my house is under spiritual attack right now, but I'm just going to be at peace right now and talk with you. Give me this moment of peace with you. Where the enemy can't interrupt. Maybe you just want to stay in this right now and just hit pause in the podcast. That's okay. Hit pause and stay here for a while. But I'm going to go ahead and just bring us in for landing here a moment. Jesus, thank you for loving me to the point of sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane of what was about to be taken before you and you went to the cross for me. Your absolute act of love, absolute act of love. And I'm so thankful for you that you love me and that I want to be one of the virgins let in with my oil in my lamp. Show me how to put oil in my lamp. You're amazing. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now it just ends our moment of practicing his presence. Something you got to do every day. It doesn't have to be methodical. You can just kind of be out for a walk and just talk to him. So that's all we have for today in Exodus 12. Some cool stuff, right? 
If you enjoy this content, please tap the like button. Or like they say on YouTube with the little British four-year-olds, smash the like button. Yeah, go ahead and hit subscribe too where you can for new content. And I like a couple of you guys reached out to me like, hey, where'd you go for the past two weeks? I was actually um, on vacation in the Southeast where we had a new granddaughter that was born. And when you have carry-on luggage, I didn't have enough equipment to bring a microphone. I had my little MacBook Pro my old 1.8 gigahertz and we know him from back when i was <laughs> stuck in florida for two months last um september throughout uh, november actually that i had to buy a microphone was out there but it just the macbook pro isn't powerful enough to run the obs and <laughs> and process this microphone so i didn't have enough room in my suitcase bring a microphone so i just produced content did research so i just hammer stuff out while i'm here anyhow that's what i have for this episode guys again thank you for reaching out Go out and be a blessing. This is Reverend Mike from the M16 Bunker checking out. Make good choices. Be a blessing. Amen.